0: So we are now in the book of Judges, and I want to look at a series of uh, character studies out of the book of Judges to kind of set the period of this and the time frame of this. The book of Judges covers a span of almost 400 years. Um, it is a, a, a time of, it's again another historical book as far as the record of what was going on in Israel, um, you'll notice as we go through, it seems like conditions change back and forth. There are these times where people are following the Lord. And then there's these times where they're wandering away, and then they wander totally away. And then God would raise up a leader, a judge, to come back and to bring the, the nation uh, under the leadership of, of that judge or the Lord as well, bringing them back into a right relationship. And uh, it's often called the cycle of israel's actions um, specifically but you'll find at least i do that it i think is reflective the book of judges of the cycles that believers can go through and also um, any any culture can go through uh, in you know i'm talking about a judeo-christian culture um where you see this series of wanderings that takes place first of all Coming to the knowledge of God and then following him for about a generation. Then people straying, bringing in idolatry, and then wandering back into sin. God would judge and then they would return after that. And that cycle sometimes repeats itself in our lives as believers. And we have to always be on guard that we're not wandering into idolatry or wandering away from from God uh, as Uh, the song the hymn writer put uh, prone to wander lord i feel it and boy so often that wandering heart if you want to know something about judges you'll find people who wandered and then people who came back to the knowledge of god and again repented god is always there waiting for our repentance and if you will not repent you will find judgment and for the believer who will not repent you will find chastisement we're going to talk a little bit about that today well the key verse to the book of judges is repeated a couple times in the book of judges but judges 17 verse 6 now keep this in mind they come out of a time where joshua under his leadership they've entered into the land they've conquered the land for the most part but they failed to do the commission of driving out the inhabitants of the land which would bring them into a a snare of sin and god knew that he told them that and they had failed to do that but for a time there was this idea that they were going to live peacefully and build their houses and they were going to have their families and they would do that but you come to the time of the judges and this is the verse that is the commentary of that time it says in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes and my friends I think we are there today in our own culture doing what is right in our own eyes, not necessarily right in what God has laid out for us. Let's pray as we continue today. Lord, we are grateful for your word, and as we look at this this book and the record, we ask God you would teach us, stir our hearts, stir our hearts to repentance if need be. Lord, that you would draw people to Jesus Christ, that those who know you that are gathered here today, would walk as uh, people set apart for you, and we would walk a different course than this world, than the inhabitants of this world. And Lord, help us be the light that they may see, the righteousness of Christ, they may see him, and be desirous of turning in repentance to him. We pray to that end today, in Jesus' name, amen. We find in this... um, the book of Judges again that comment that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes and uh, in the book of Deuteronomy one of the books of Moses in the time of Moses this is what was commanded of the people and I want to just lay this out because you'll find when it comes to the time of Joshua and the time of Judges um, though there were great victories both spiritual and for Israel physical because they're commission was to go into the land and possess the land that God had given them um, by the way for Christians it's a different commission we're called to go out into a world that is really hostile and we're not to take over the world in uh, that sense we're to preach the gospel or bring the, the light of the gospel to people and to share the love of Christ as a different commission nevertheless they parallel one another very well as you look at some of this But we find here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the command, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, and nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars... And cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Well, that's the command that God gave to Israel. And as I said, though we are commissioned in this age to go out into the world and to preach the gospel and to bring that uh, the light of Christ to people... Israel was specifically told to go into the land and they were told and they were used not only to do that to possess the land that was given theirs them, they were to drive out completely the inhabitants of that land which were wholly given over to idolatry. And it's important to understand that God was doing many things. He was not only blessing Israel to enjoy the land that he gave them but also he was using them to judge those that for Uh, centuries had been under the condemnation of God because of their sin and there were people that did repent out of that group and and I believe any time that people repent turn to the one true God forsake their idols forsake their sin that God will be merciful and bring them in and that was the picture in the Old Testament you find the land of Canaanite or the Canaanites the the land of Canaan uh, the Canaanites are mentioned here in Deuteronomy. We come to the book of Joshua. Can you think of any prominent Canaanites that were that received the mercy of God? Think of Joshua chapter what yeah we're, we're getting really early on. The city of Jericho. Can you remember anybody in the city of Jericho that got well delivered out of that city? Rahab. She was a Canaanite, and she was probably in the order of things with the Canaanites in the low edge of society in that her profession had been that one of prostitution. And Rahab received grace and was grafted into Israel because she repented and followed the one true God and those in her household. And Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. When you read Matthew chapter 1, you find out Rahab is there uh, in that family. And her descent would be David. And wow, oh God's grace. So God did not want to just go in and destroy the Canaanites or all these other tribes that are mentioned there, but he had warned them over and over and over again. Even when Deuteronomy was being written, he had warned them, your day is coming. And when Joshua gathers there on the the other side of Jordan, they still could have repented and they don't. Finally, the cup of judgment was full and God was going to use Israel to do that. But he also warned Israel if you don't drive them out if you compromise or if you basically adopt their gods then i will judge you and that's a that was a condition and a promise that he has for israel and sadly the book of judges shows that cycle where they would turn to him they would raise god raise up a leader it would turn to him and then uh, eventually start wandering all of a sudden they're uh, they're setting up idols and pagan temples and then they're going right back into judgment and then God would raise up a leader because he's faithful to do that and they would repent and there was this cycle that went on for many many generations and then God would do uh, some other things but anyways the time of the judges you find that in Deuteronomy they were to possess the land they were to utterly destroy all the nations that were there Uh, they were to make no peace treaties with them they were just shown no mercy. And you say, well, that's, that's pretty harsh. No mercy. Well, God had extended mercy to them. But there comes a time where mercy runs out, believe it or not, for the unsaved, for those that will reject the Lord. And I am not one to say, um, first of all, God is merciful and he extends that mercy to everybody. But you cannot infinitely have the mercy of God if you're going to remain in your sin eventually it's over the book of hebrews in the new testament says this that it is appointed on demand once to die and then after that the judgment there are those today in our world that are going through life and their heart is beating going like that and one day no more heartbeat. And death will visit them at that moment. And they will stand before God. And there will not be any mercy for those who have not gone to the Lord for mercy first. You see, where we find grace and mercy meeting sinful man, sinful people, is at the cross of Christ. Where Jesus died in our place. And if you reject the only means of salvation, you'll have the same fate as the Canaanites. The same fate. Mercy stopped. When Joshua marched around that city of Jericho. And then they went around. Remember seven days. Gave him a whole week to repent. And only one household. One really woman there. We have Rahab and those under her household. That were spared in that city. And everything else was destroyed. We see that going on and on and on. They were not to have any intermarrying with them. Because if you were to marry into this family of they did not believe in God, then it would most often and almost always often, it goes that way. It draws you, you into that relationship of going away from God and your children and your grandchildren. And all of a sudden, you have a whole lost generation Think about how many children can come out of a relationship, right? You know, not just that generation, but the next and the next and the next. And just a few generations, you may have hundreds of descendants. And when you say God is not merciful to let them do what they wanted to do, remember every man was doing what was right in his own eyes at the time of the Judges, he was indeed being merciful, because even through destroying the Canaanites, he was sparing the lives of future people who would be lost. And I don't have the mind of God perfectly on that. I just say God, in in the in His understanding and grace, which is far, which is perfect, and mine is not. Mine is very limited. He knows what He's doing when He says, "Don't do this," even though we say, "Well, boy, you know." And you come to the time, we won't dwell on this too much because we come to Judges chapter 3 here in a moment. We'll see where they were doing exactly what God told them not to do. We read of that. And we read that they failed. (laughs) Um, I won't go through Judges chapter 1, but it's an account of the failings of Israel. You read in, well I can read the last part of Judges chapter 1. Let me go here and find it where are we there we go Nope. here we go judges chapter 1 verse 19 so the lord was with judah and they drove out the mountaineers but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron failure number one and they gave hebron to caleb as moses had said and Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. So Caleb was somewhat successful, but those around him were not. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. There's failure number two, right? And then you have in verse, the next one. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent a man to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said, Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. And so he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. Failure number three. And then, however, verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean. And then you see another failure. Verse 29, uh, verse 29, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gazer, And then in verse 30, nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, of the inhabitants of Neholo. And then you have verse 31, nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo. And then verse 32, says so the asherites dwelt among the canaanites and the inhabitants of the land for they did not drive them out and then verse 33 nor did naphtali drive out the inhabitants of beth shemesh and then verse 34 and the amorites forced the children of dan into the mountains for they would not allow them to come down into the valley so we have dan scared living up in the mountains when they didn't want him what a sight when you read through judges chapter one it's a it's a really a historical account of land that was lost and ground that had been conquered that was lost because of faithlessness in that generation there were still some victories here and there but not complete victories so anyways i just lay that by way of introduction uh and we're going to read this morning starting in judges chapter three now these are the nations which the Lord left, and he might, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them, to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Now, it's important here, again, as this chapter opens up, we see the situation that Israel is in, and we see that... um, there's some reasons God had, had allowed some of these people to remain in the land. And we're going to look at it a little bit here. One of them is to prove Israel or to put to test Israel. We read that in uh, in verse 1 there where it says, "In go back to that one here, where, I, where there it is. And these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test or prove Israel by them. You know, there are things in our world that, And I often wonder this, like, why is it that God just doesn't put down all evil today in my world? I mean, wouldn't that be part in keeping with the will of God that that he deliver us from evil? I mean, that's part of the Lord's prayer when we say, Lord, deliver us from evil, right? And yet there's still evil that exists in my world. Part of that, I believe, is found in this section where God says, I'm going to use good people, people who know me, to prove them and to prove their actions in a world. And so long as there are people of the Lord who are willing to confront evil, I think God is allowing that, at least at this time, to show a test for man, for, for people. And I'm glad that he does that because there are still some good God-fearing people that go out and they do the right things, the hard things, sometimes at the cost of their own lives. And I'm not talking about just going out confronting physically evil. There are people that are doing that today. There are there are people on the job right now working throughout our country and throughout the world in, in law enforcement and militaries. And they're, they're doing so with that, again, authority that comes ultimately from God himself. And uh, they are holding back some evil good thing because if they weren't there tell you what it would be a disaster rather quickly as some places in our country are finding out in that very hard thank the lord for people still willing to do that god puts us to the test though as believers are we going to put up in our own lives things that are evil things that May be idolatrous and we'll talk some more about that as we go and we look at it he also left these these inhabitants there to teach the new generation about spiritual truths that you cannot live with the victories of the past as the present all right and that sounds really profound right but it's true how often we look at the past and we see the victories God has given in maybe our own life or in the generation before that. You were born into a Christian family and and maybe you're a second generation Christian or something like that. And you say, wow, my mom and dad, they were just spiritual giants. Guess what? It's now dependent upon you to follow in their footsteps. And you as an individual have to do the same thing. You can't, you won't get into heaven because your parents were Christians. And you won't drive out, the spiritual impurities that will divide us from the lord in your life by the fact your parents were christians or that you went to a church that was a good church or that we grew up in a country that has roots that were christian through and through based upon our our not only our laws but the writings of the founding fathers there's over 40,000 45,000 pages of writings from the founding fathers of this country and 80 percent of the quotes found in those are from the bible or biblical principles and when you stand today and say we never were a christian nation no you're wrong but you won't go into this year in america victorious as christian nation if you forget those things and The people today have to adopt those things if they're going to follow the Lord. And again, I'm not, nations are temporary. I don't care who they are, they are temporary. People are not. The people of those nations are eternal. And you will spend your eternity in one of two places separated from God in hell, in a lake of fire, or you will be in his presence in heaven. And the decision of that rests upon you to make that decision to follow him and repent from sin and trust him by faith or to reject him and you're already on the road to hell if you've rejected him. And that's what the Bible lays out. And he proves those things. He allows these things in our life even to help us and provoke us into all those different areas. Well, we're going to move on here a little bit but we're going to look at um, what goes on and he, he did that. Um, we're going to look at a man called Othnael or Othnael and his name literally means a lion of God. All right. Now we're going to get to him in the third point. So we're not looking at him right away here. But um, we find again as a, this cycle that Israel would go through. And maybe you find yourself somewhere in this cycle where they were following the Lord. Like in the time of Joshua started to stray. Didn't do what God told him to do. Ended up compromising. Ended up coming back. Uh, after God raised up a leader, right, and that would be the, the the situation. Well, we find here the compromise of Israel in verses five to seven of Judges chapter three. And I would say this: this is why God gave us the Bible and man didn't give us the Bible. Um, what I mean is that man, you know, there were God breathed out His word through people, but you find that when God comments on mankind, He does so including the ugly details. See, if I wanted to write a history about my, my family or about my uh, nation or uh, if I was the Jewish people in that way, I'd always include just the good things, right? Because that's the tendency. We, we like to include the good things, make a lot about ourselves. But God says, wait a minute, I'm going to include the bad things too. And that's part of the reason I think the Bible, uh, not only that, I know the Bible comes from God because he paints people as just that, people, and he records the ugly details. Maybe there's some ugly things in your life. Or in your past. Or in your family. Or people in your you know circle of friends. And you know those ugly things. Well yes you're part of the human race. And guess what? We're all sinners. And if left, God left us alone. We'd just die in our sin. But he came and he dwelt among us. And he did so. So he could show true love to us. In a world that is unlovely. And he could... Give himself a ransom for many. Oh, I'm thankful for that. We find Israel's compromise. Thus, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They had interactions with the Canaanites. That's the first part of the compromise. Remember, Deuteronomy 7 said, Don't do it. <laughs> God said, Just don't do it. Drive them out. And if they didn't, don't drive them out. Utterly destroy them. And instead, they left them in the land. And they decided to uh, settle down. And the word to dwell there, dwelt, means just that. It is the idea of settling down, or the word was used to set up housekeeping. When you set up housekeeping, you're there, right? Keeping the house. And that was what was going on. They became comfortable enough to just live among the people of the land. That's a problem. When you become comfortable with uh, sin in your life, by the way, and it is easy. Or we set up a dwelling where it's just like that. You know, we're not doing those things, but we're comfortable with those things being around us. Well, that's a problem. And I'll be honest with you. I find in my culture today, it is so easy to become acclimated in a bad way to the sin that is around us. We're in a society that is, is, is just perverted in so many ways <laughs> And it's so much of it, it's like it's sort of normalized, right? And every now and again, you have to go back and just say, whoa, that's not the way God wanted it. Man has taken that which God has wanted us to enjoy and under, under his ways and, and do all that and just, just turned it upside down. Why is there so many unhappy people in my world and they're trying to do things in their own eyes? They think it's right and they really think it's right. But God says, no, it isn't. And it's easy for his own, for believers, to just become accustomed to whatever it is. There's lots of, of things I could preach against today. Uh, instead, I'm going to say this, let the Holy Spirit convict you in your life of those things and, and lift up Jesus Christ, because he's promised to draw sinners to himself. That's what, that's what we need to be doing in our world today, presenting Jesus. He is a friend of sinners, but he's yet apart from sin. He's a holy savior be careful back there in deuteronomy we ended in uh, the previous verses of deuteronomy 7 picking up in verse 6 it says for you are a holy people to the lord your god the lord your god has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples of the earth and then he says the lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. Now, I love what God does. He says, you're a special people. Now, if God came to you and said, you're special. Wow, you know, yeah, I know. Pride would just well up. They, they would have been very proud too. God says, no, that's not why I loved you. Not because you're something great. Matter of fact, they weren't. They were less than all the other people. He says, for you we're least of all people. And then he says, but because the Lord loves you. Do you know why you are important, my friends? It's because you're the object of God's love. The rest of your credentials, though they may be important, and I'm not going to lessen that, but the, 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 the other attributes you might have that are good, listen, they don't amount to a hill of beans at all in the, the idea of, of acceptance with God. For by grace we are saved through faith. Not of works, right? Not of the things we do ourselves. Not at all. And he extends his mercy, his love, his grace to us. Not because we're special, but because Christ is accepted. He's special. And if you're the object of his love and you are found to be in Christ because you've trusted him by faith... You become a peculiar people also, by the way. And I could talk more uh, on some of that. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 6 goes a lot uh, with, with uh, Deuteronomy 7. It says, quoting here from the Old Testament, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. And he's giving that to his church. Not to the Jew alone, but to... The church of god made up of gentiles and jews sitting under one spiritual in one spiritual body and he's reminding them about coming out and being separate sounds very similar to the message he gave in the old testament again that's a quote from the old testament in the new testament so there the apostle paul is applying that with our spiritual walk not attached to a land but attached to a relationship which is much different How about Titus 2.14? It talks about Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. God is not against good works. He's all for it. He wants us actually zealous for good works. He wants his own to be, as in Corinthians, it says, always abounding, right? to, If there's some opportunity to do good, jump up and do it. And, And I mean that. Just jump up and do it. We live in a world today where it's getting less and less popular to volunteer for things. It's getting less popular to to serve in areas that you know nobody's going to give me some money or nobody's going to well you know recognize me. We need people like Christians, especially, who are just planted somewhere in the home, maybe uh, helping a neighbor uh, at work or doing going above and beyond in extra areas. To volunteer and do things to do something good in a world that is not seeing a lot of good. That's part of our testimony. That's what we're to do. Why? Because He's redeemed us. He's redeemed us from lawless deeds. There was a time in my life, if you would have met me, I guess, before I knew Christ, I probably would have given you, I would have fooled you, but I knew I never fooled God there were things that i i was engaged in i shouldn't be do, shouldn't have been doing and there were there were things in my mind that should not have been there and i'll tell you there were attitudes i had towards other people that should never have been there and if god opened that all up you wouldn't like the guy that was there but he redeemed me out of that it doesn't mean i don't struggle in my life with sin still it's always nipping at our heels and if you welcome it into your heart you guess what you're going to whatever you eat is going to come out right that's the way it is and I'll tell you he wants his own special peculiar people that's what that word means in that they're not weird but they're they're special set apart for him that's holy that's what the word holy means 1 Corinthians 6.19 or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Remember who you belong to. Simple advice. Israel began to forget what was going on. Judges chapter 3, verse 6. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to be their sons. They did exactly what the Lord told them not to do. The very previous generation of Israelites were living by that. Their children were not. That's how close we are, by the way, from going away from God. One generation. That's how close. Why do we need godly leaders who are willing to go and work with that generation coming up? Not only in the home, but within a church, evangelism, like CEF, right? All of that, why? Because you're only one generation from people not knowing who God is, and then they're going right back into the lawless deeds that were there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 reminds us of this. It says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or good manners. If you are going to keep company with the devil, don't be surprised that the devil takes up shop in your life. And don't always blame just the devil. Sometimes we do it. More often than not, That's that's my greatest enemy is me. I know what is sin, and I say oh I'm not really I don't think that's that bad we need to know and understand the strength of sin Second Corinthians two fourteen. now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place I love what Paul says there he, he says, that, and by the way, the context of that is spirit-filled Christians. And he says, as you who are led by the Holy Spirit go out into a world that stinks. Because sin stinks, my friends. And if you don't think so, you just go out there and you just talk to somebody whose sin has just ravaged their life. It absolutely stinks. And by the way, even a little sin stinks. But a spirit-filled Christian... Going out into a world that has not seen that before, listen, it leaves the fragrance of life. Fragrance of life. But by the way, as a Christian, if you have sin in your life and you fail to repent of that sin, you're going out and you're just adding to the stink. All right? Be the perfume of life, eternal life. When you have been present somewhere, wherever it is, may people understand that God was there too. May they sense that. May they know that. That's why we're called to be above all that is around us in this sinful world, and to follow him. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus put it this way, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, maybe I shouldn't because, you know, as, uh, as you know, Christians, that often we, we say, you're not saved by works, you're not saved by works. We, we de-emphasize that aspect of our Christian walk, which is works. You aren't saved by works. You're saved by one work, which is his, Christ's work on the cross, He saved us. His work was good enough. My works are never good enough to save me or forgive me of my sins. But he is gracious and merciful to forgive me of my sins. Because he's accepted. He's justified me. He's done that. But the works that he has done should reflect in my life. Because I also have, well the Bible says, if you trust Christ. If you believe on him. You are baptized into him by one spirit. The Holy Spirit will come up and reside in your life. And he, God the Holy Spirit, will work. If you let him. If you don't, people aren't going to see his action. Because he doesn't force himself that way. Be careful. We must interact with the world so that we can be light to them and give them the gospel. And by the way, I said this before. We'll come back to this verse, But one of the great commission verses, and this is at the the outset of just before the church begins. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. But you have a commission of Jesus Christ to his disciples. To all of us who are his followers, really. But you, you disciples, you followers shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that was going to be shortly from that moment. And you shall be witnesses to me. He doesn't say you're to go into a land and destroy all the people. No, no, that's, that's not the commission for the church. I can't say that enough. Unless somebody says, oh, you guys that preach the Old Testament, you know, angry God and he just wants to kill people. No, never did he want to do that. Grieved God in his heart that the Canaanites would not repent. And yet, you still see grace with the Canaanites and with the Moabites and all kinds of ites that are out there, my tribe included. (laughs) You'll be witnesses to me. Witnesses. The word for witness there is the word we get from the word martyr. Now, some of them would literally go out and be martyrs. Their lives would be snuffed out on this earth, And yet they would leave the world a better place. I often think of that. In the demise of the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire had become um, very stable economically. It was the powerhouse of the world in its day. And then around 350 AD to around 500 AD, in that range, the Roman Empire began a series of declines. A lot of things happened in those times. Um, And I could go on. We're we're very much similar in our world today. Economically, they cheapened their own currency. They began to just print money, essentially, well, coins of lesser value. They weren't coins made out of silver and gold. They began to do that. Their military became weaker and weaker in a world that was stable. Um, They began to uh, do those things. But in the process also... There were other things that were happening in the world. And by the way, one of the, the, world, the Roman Empire just sort of dissolved into, you know, just one day the legion of Roman troops marched out of town and they never came back. That's kind of how it went for a lot of areas like Britain and Germany and those kind of places. And a lot can be studied about world history. great nation and a great empire dissolved in about 100, 150 years. And nobody can put a finger on exactly what did it, but a lot of things did it. One of the things, though, that did increase and was better is that Christianity began to permeate through that stable, even in the bad times. And there were really, really bad times for Christians living under the Roman Empire. And then there were some really good times. But there were these waves of persecution. And some of those witnesses were Christians who were, were killed. They were Society pointed at them said, There to be thrown to the lions in the Colosseum or or wherever and killed by gladiators and made a spectacle. That word is used in the New Testament. Paul refers to it as someone who's being looked at in every way. And those early Christians, so many of them were made a spectacle. Not that they chose it, they were made it. And some died. You know, the last recorded... Gathering of gladiators in the Colosseum at Rome uh, occurred, and I, I can't remember the exact year that it happened, but Rome had become very violent in their entertainment. People would gather by the tens of thousands in Colosseums and in amphitheaters and other places to watch other men kill, not just animals, but each other, or kill prisoners. And they would do it in the most gruesome of ways, and the crowd would cheer. They devalued human life. It's interesting. There was some gladiator events going on in the Colosseum, as, as history tells us. And there was a Christian who had been a visitor to Rome. He came, he was see- saw what the spectacle of what was going on. And it wasn't just killing that went on. They did all kinds of things. They reenacted battles. They actually flooded the floor of the the Roman Colosseum, and and they would have ships in there, and they would present naval battles and all kinds of stuff. Great entertainment for the day. (laughs) Today we have computer-generated stuff. We can see anything, right? But then they were doing that top entertainment of the world, and then they put some of the floor back and all that, and they started in with some events where people were being killed gladiators were fighting to the death christian was so moved by that don't even know his name he ran down into the into the center and he yelled god stop this and they were so incensed people were so incensed that he he interrupted first of all their activity and i don't know i can't remember the details on what happened to him but i know this it, it delayed what was going on. And one by one, the gladiators were there who didn't want to do what they were doing. Put down their weapons and walked out. The crowd was decided they're going to walk out. And that's the last recorded event that took place there in the gladiator sports that were going on. I, don't, I wish I knew more details about it. We probably don't. Maybe someday I'll meet that Christian in heaven. Find out he was the one that stood against that. And I I just say this, that beware what you're doing in your life. It's so easy to compromise. It's so easy. But you can make a difference. There were many Christians who died in that same place and other places like it as they were killed, as they were humiliated, awful. You're to be witnesses to me. And it says, in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Wow. Quickly, I got to move on. Verse 6, it says, And they served their gods. They began serving their gods, not the one true God. And served the Baals and the Asherahs. The Asherah, Asherah the, the Canaanites had 70 different gods that they named. Just in case you didn't like one, you had another one to go to most of them dealt with the fertility rites of um, everything the the cycle of life from the crops to people if your wife didn't get pregnant well uh, you had to go and offer up sacrifices to uh, Baal or Asherah there's a story later on in the book of Judges of Gideon who goes down and cuts down the images of Asherah in the groves and uh, the I guess the history uh, behind that, it was again, and, and by the way, this is a very neutral depiction of that. The, the wooden and stone images that have been recovered or mostly stone images now of Asherah was uh, depicted something far more hideous and um, with an emphasis on genitalia and other things like that uh, as a goddess of fertility. And um, Gideon was one of those good guys that went and said, we're done with this, cut it down. Verse 7, they forgot the Lord, their God. See, when you go serve other gods, you'll forget the Lord, your God. And you'll go do something else. And by the way, everybody in this world serves a God. Small G-O-D. There's a man, Goodsword, and he has three biblical rules for, for just people in general, not necessarily believers. But listen, he says, number one, every person is serving God or gods in his life. Even those that are atheists, believe it or not, you're still serving a God. You've just erected the God of yourself. And number two, every person is transformed into an image of his own God. You want to follow a little bit of what the Canaanites were doing? You'll find it in the archaeological record, just a little bit. We don't know all the things they were doing, but we do know certain things they were doing. When Canaanites, in their dedication of important buildings, they would build a hollowed-out cornerstone, and there they they would put... A baby in that and then cover them up with mason work and go on their way and some think the belief was that that baby would bring life and good luck or whatever it is to that imagine doing that to a child either killing a child or if they put them in alive and then building a stone work around them wow turned into a bunch of murderers Their fertility rights involved very perverted sexual acts and other things that we're engaged in. And by the way, you will be transformed into the God that you serve. Number three, mankind creates and forms a structure of society in its own image. You wonder why our society is like it is today? Because we're serving as a society anyways. I hope you're not. Serving gods that aren't the one true God. You see Israel's chastisement. One verse. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of cushan Rashatherim, King of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan-Rashatharim Eight years. They served as slaves. For eight years. We're told to repent, my friends. It's easy to end up to end up as slaves to sin. And then lastly, we, re, we are introduced to Israel's champion. And this is where, I just want to look at this because, and I'm, I know I'm out of time this morning. I'm sorry for going so long, but I just want to go through these verses. Because this is the cycle. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, it took them eight years, <laughs> they're finally sick of it sick of being slaves and they cried out to the Lord and you know what the Lord heard them he heard them all along but they just didn't cry out the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them with Niel the son of Kenaz Caleb's younger brother he was either Caleb's nephew or his younger brother um, the indication is most likely he was a nephew who took the place of his father which would have been a brother to Caleb and I won't go into that but the book of Numbers gives a hint there. Look what it says. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He was a spirit-filled man. Just one man, but he was a spirit-filled man. And it says he judged Israel. He, he provided leadership as a spirit-filled man for Israel. He went out to war. He knew what needed to be done, and he did it. And he judged Israel, it says, or he went out to war, and the Lord delivered Kushan. Now Cushan is a descendant of Cush. Rishathaeum means double wickedness. He delivered him from the descendant of Cush who was doubly wicked, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. and the hand of uh, the land and had rest for forty years. Then Uthnael the son of Kenez, died. Listen, the story here, and it's very little verses in history about Othniel, other than he was a judge in Israel, a leader, who was there for that 40 years. It was probably the last 40 years of his life, which was, um, many think that he was probably around 70, 75 when he became a judge. So those years were the years he was most effective after that. Think about that. I'm glad for those kind of people. And I'm glad that he was a spirit-filled man. And you know, we have to understand that we're to go out, as Acts one eight says. Sometimes you say, I don't think I can make a difference. Do you know you have the availability, if you're a believer, the availability of the Holy Spirit in your life? He promises to seal us unto the day of redemption. He's there. And I don't believe you can break that seal or lose the Holy Spirit, but you can grieve the Spirit of God. You can quench the Spirit of God. That's what the Bible tells us. By the way, you can only grieve a person. (laughs) I say he's he's the person of the Holy Spirit, not just like the active force or something like that. You know, He's the Spirit of God who is the one who wants to empower us to go into a world and accomplish great things for him. But you shall receive power. Where does that power reside? Not in weapons of war. Or those kind of things. But in the product of the Holy Spirit. And as he produces those things in our life. And you shall be witnesses. I'm glad for that. Because you can make a difference. You can make a huge difference. There are a lot of things I've thought about when for instance Hudson Taylor who was a missionary to China and thousands and thousands of Chinese people came to faith in Christ through the ministry of Hudson Taylor and those with the inland China mission Uh, they didn't do everything perfectly but they were there for the the hour or for the the duration of a generation and then lots of things happened Uh, but I like what Hudson Taylor said he said It says uh, here, when Hudson Taylor was director of the China Inland Mission, he often interviewed candidates for the mission field. On one occasion, he met with a group of applicants to determine their motivations for service. This is the quote. He says, and why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary? He asked one of them. I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was the reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. Others gave different answers. Then Hudson Taylor said this, All of these uh, motives, however good, will fail you in times of testing, trial and tribulation, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely the love of Christ. My friends, if you love Christ the way you should... And you're walking with Him as you should. You will love others as you should. And you will love a world that is lost as you should. And you will go out and you will do great things. And the product of the Holy Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, all those, those things, those will make a difference in this great world that we live in. Be one of those kind of Christians. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Lord, may you convict... In our hearts today, where conviction is needed, and help us to put feet to the, that conviction and change of direction to live as holy instruments in your hand, to motivate us through the love of Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. And we look forward to that time when we will be with you in, in glory. There will be no mention of sin there or ever again. But until then, Lord, we must deal with it here in our lives in our world. May we do so with the light of Christ, revealing it and changing hearts from the inside. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.